0: Welcome to Top Score from Classical Minnesota Public Radio. I'm Emily Reese. It's the early 1900s in America, and you're an outlaw turned good named John Marston. The game is Red Dead Redemption, and as a player, you get to do all kinds of fun stuff like tote a six-shooter, ride a horse, you can save damsels in distress, you can gamble and train hop, you can shoot bears and cougars and rabbits and drive stagecoaches all across a vast and scenic open world. Publisher and developer Rockstar Games knew they wanted something a little different for a soundtrack to the epic tale of an outlaw in the Old West, so they turned to Bill Elm and Woody Jackson. I talked to Bill Elm about their innovative soundscape and about his band, Friends of Dean Martinez. Mm ¶¶ You again I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to do this today oh yeah uh, now Red Dead Redemption uh, I'll say I went through it twice and only because the first time I went through it uh, I, I was trying it's the first time I've attempted to get a platinum trophy in a game I, I was like that into the game that I loved it that much but um, then my PlayStation broke and I lost it all so so I started going through the game again. I never got all the way through it again, but but I loved the game and uh and I loved the music and so that is why I wanted to talk to you and and Woody too and it's it's unfortunate he's not here, but you're you're just as good. So Yeah. <laughs> so the composers I've spoken with so far have all had quite a bit of experience writing for video games, but this was your first, right? Yes. What did you enjoy about the process?
1: Um, well, I mean, I enjoyed the fact that it was a Western, certainly. It, it was just really interesting writing music for that kind of medium. I'm not much of a gamer, and so I didn't have much background in it, and it was, a, you know, it was just a great new experience. ¶¶ Rockstar wanted everything to be so interactive. It was kind of like this puzzle or, or challenge, you know, in the beginning to figure out how it was actually all going to come together and work.
0: So you wrote the score uh, collaboratively with Woody Jackson, correct? Uh, yes. And so how did that project come about for you guys?
1: Um, well, I, I was actually hired on, um, I guess Rockstar had some of my uh, band Friends of Dean Martinez's CDs you know, and they thought that we'd be a good fit for, for what they wanted. Woody had been in the band, you know, back in 96, 97, and we had reconnected a couple of years ago. And so basically, he had a studio out in L.A. and kind of started by just going out there and recording, and he was the, you know, essentially the engineer. And then it just became apparent that he was perfect for working on it, and he was contributing way more than just just being an engineer. So brought him on and went from there.
0: So, I, I, I did listen to a lot of your music on uh, your Friends of Dean Martinez page, and it, it is very experimental, Western kind of. It's hard to pigeonhole, which I like about it. So, tell me about the band and how you've come to be in the band and
1: what your role is. Well, it was kind of. Um, I was learning to play steel guitar, and I was, you know, was back in, you know, 94, 93, and I um, really loved uh, Santo and Johnny. You know. So the band kind of started out as just an instrumental side project to um, basically be a Santo and Johnny cover band, you know, just for fun, and it was back when the lounge stuff was kind of happening, and um, the guys in the band at that point, we were all playing with another band called Giant Sand, and so it was kind of a side effort, and it um, just so happened that we got picked up by Sub Pop and, um, and started putting out records, and at that point, um, had to start writing original music. developed into this Santo and Johnny meets Spaghetti Western kind of developed from there be a little experimental to keep things interesting over 10, 11 records with a <laughs> steel guitar-fronted <laughs> instrumental band.
0: So, so you originally were just a guitar player, and then you, you picked up steel guitar, is that right? Yes, yes. And you've done some innovative things with that instrument. So can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Um, it's not pedal steel, but um, you know, it was a, like a double-eight string master. You know, I guess at some point, um started breaking away from the more Santo and Johnny sound to uh, adding tape delays and ebos, and it was taking the place of the vocals, and you know, I guess Santo and Johnny meets Pink Floyd, kind of, you know, <laughs> a little spacier. <laughs> ¶¶
0: things that i really like about the score for red dead redemption is it's almost timeless and you can't really pinpoint an era of the music you can tell it's western but it's very futuristic but yet also very kind of reminiscent of the old time spaghetti western so was that intentional
1: um, yeah. I mean, you, you can't really go head-to-head with uh, Marconi or, you know, some of the great stuff that's been <laughs> that's been done in Westerns, you know, because that is what people think of when they think of Westerns. So it was, you know, kind of—it it took us a, a while to figure out because, because Rockstar wasn't necessarily sure what they wanted, um, but they were definitely sure of what they didn't want. And so we kind of had to record for a while and kind of bracket things and then— um, you know, to figure out what what we were going to do. And it, it slowly came together. The idea, obviously, was to make it unique and something that would give every impression that, you know, it was what is in people's minds when they think of Westerns, but also that it was its its own thing.
0: Did you listen to anything to get yourself in the space for writing for something like Red Dead?
1: We spent a lot of time... I spent a lot of time with uh, Ivan Pavlovich from Rockstar. He's the music supervisor, just trading songs back and forth and trying to s- establish a dialogue about what they wanted. Because it's, the game certainly wasn't tempted with any music. Like, yeah, we just talked music for for months as we were working on things, from Gil Evans to Public Enemy to you know trying to discern exactly what they liked about that. Not the obvious what was going on, but the emotion that was taken from it.
0: You keep bringing up Ennio Morricone and he was of course a fantastic Italian or is
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> is a fantastic Italian composer of spaghetti westerns. So you've you're familiar then with with him and his music and and the films he does?
1: Yeah, I mean, of course I grew up watching westerns and the <laughs> <you> Yeah. <know. laughs> um, it's hard
0: to escape then, huh?
1: Yeah. And I mean, he's just obviously he's the the maestro.
0: Yeah, he is. He's pretty amazing. Yeah. Do you have a favorite score of his?
1: Uh, Once upon a time in the West, I think it's the. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the favorite, <laughs> the classic. <laughs>
0: done some writing for film though too, right? Uh yes. Fast Food Nation, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. So you've you've done some some films that have obviously enjoyed a bit of success in their own right. So <laughs> comparing that situation to writing for games, what what was that what was the difference for you? What did you like? What would you did
1: you dislike? Um, well, it was it was hard initially to, like, wrap your mind around the concept of the video game and the open world game that it's, especially in Red Dead, I mean, you can ride around 15, 20 minutes before anything happens just, you know, picking flowers mm-hmm. or shooting birds and, um, <laughs> you know, obviously when you're doing a, a film, there's a finite scene length and, you know, they may chop it down or extend it, but it's still from point A to point B and then it's over. And with the game, it was you know the challenge was to make it so random that you could spend 20 minutes listening to the you know the whistler and the marxophone without necessarily hearing the loop come back around and also to be ready at any point to jump into the next level or you know to, if if something starts happening if you get near somebody in the game where you know there's potential for action then you know the music is going to is going to switch up we essentially had eight songs running side by side the whole time, and depending on what was going on, well, they would add this other, you know, stems one, two, and three would start playing. I mean, it's it's also different if you're walking or riding a horse.
0: That's one of the things that, that Rockstar seems to be particularly adept at is creating these huge open worlds where you pretty much never get bored. There's always something to do.
1: Yeah. After the game came out and I went and got a PlayStation and played through it, it was it was amazing to, to see what they had actually done with, with all of the music. Um, yeah, sure. And how well it came off.
0: The nice thing about an open world game like that that's produced so well and has such great music is that you can be riding around like you're saying you can ride your horse for 20 minutes and not really do anything but you you don't get bored and you don't get sick of the music and and it's just it was a good game
1: yeah yeah definitely
0: You're listening to Top Score from Classical Minnesota Public Radio. I'm Emily Reese. My guest this week is Bill Elm, one of the men responsible for the award-winning soundtrack to Red Dead Redemption. The thing about the end of Red Dead Redemption, it was certainly one of the more shocking endings in a video game. Mm -hmm. At what point did you realize, and I don't want to say on here what the end is, but at what point did you realize that everything was going to change at the end?
1: I... I had no idea <laughs> until <laughs> they didn't tell late. you. No, no. I mean, you know, we were so focused on we had to we or I mixed eighteen hours of music for the game, and there were um, two hundred cues in it, and so it was just, you know, it was a very massive job, and so we were mm-hmm. we were definitely getting quick times of the you know of playthroughs, but there was no time to really focus on what was happening in the game. We were more <laughs> concerned about filling the slots and filling out the world with different um, signature sounds so that, that you could essentially close your eyes and know that you were in in this part of Mexico as opposed to this part. As far as the music went, the storyline didn't matter as much because mm-hmm. it was just an open world that we were concerned with, you know, providing the atmosphere for. Sure, more
0: location-based kind of yeah. interaction that yeah. way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I understand.
1: And, you know, the outcome of a gunfight doesn't really matter as long as you have Good music for the (laughs) gunfight.
0: That's very true. Tell me a little bit about your background in music.
1: Well I I was just a guitar player I think from about 12 years old and um, started playing in bands in uh, Tucson, you know self-taught or taught by friends and um, then I had broken my hand at one point and Mm. bought a lap steel and found that well guitar players are kind of a dime a dozen and if I could add lap steel to my (laughs)
0: Mm. resume
1: then it was easier to get jobs in bands. And then in 94 joined uh, Giant's Hand. It was kind of a bigger Tucson band and, um, and started touring with them and, and got my first taste of what it was like to tour and be on a label and record and, and that sort of thing. And then Friends of Dean Martinez came out of there. So.
0: That you wrote 18 hours of music for Red Dead Redemption, that's considerably more music than you would need to write for a film.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's probably <laughs>
0: considerably like, more. Yeah. Uh, did you find that one of the bigger challenges, just coming up with that much material that was engaging and insightful and enjoyable?
1: Um, yes, and no. I mean, initially, it was because it, it was kind of overwhelming. Like, you kind of didn't want to think about how much had to be done. But but once we got the format down, it was actually wonderful to have that many cues to do that, that you could try out different things. And it was nice to be able to spend that much time with the music and to uh, experiment.
0: So how did you incorporate the elements of what you do in Friends of Dean Martinez into the score for Red Dead?
1: Um, I think that with... Just being in an instrumental band for that long, that and, and especially something like Friends of Dean Martinez, where it's more about the atmosphere or the soundscape, and so that um, kind of learned that it's less maybe how many notes you're playing or what you're playing and, and more about how you're treating the sound and the atmosphere, and that was, um, you know, for Red Dead, it's it's there's fairly simple stuff going on at the bass level, but if you, you know, throw it through a nice plate reverb and keep thinking about the less is more aspect of things that it... Provides for a nice backdrop.
0: I'm so glad you mentioned that less is more because the thing, uh, another thing that draws me to that score is that everything that happens musically seems very careful and very deliberate, and it, it makes it very seamless. And I, I don't, I certainly don't mean to compare you to Miles Davis, but it reminds me of that style of playing where you're thinking about what you want to be heard and how you're going to make that happen on the instruments. So you're listening to this score as you're, you know, riding your horse through Mexico or wherever, and it just paints this landscape through its very deliberate choice of sound that's happening as you're riding by mountains or streams or whatever.
1: Yeah, well, I, you know, definitely I think that one, one thought-out note is, is better than, you know, 10. <laughs> very true. We really tried to to keep it sparse because you play the game for so long.
0: It's a sparse landscape at times
1: too. Yeah.
0: to ask you specifically what your role was and what
1: Woody's role was I mean we were both writing writing music for different parts you know and then we would Mm -hmm. get together um and trade things off and I mean it was just a very collaborative effort you know at a certain point I think I turned more towards um towards mixing and and putting everything together and actually crafting the pieces and Woody was still churning out Mm -hmm. new things the amount of stuff that was recorded for it was just, just massive. You know, maybe at the beginning it was, it was hard to figure out what we were, how we were going to do it. And so we were recording say sessions with, you know, 80 tracks that were 15 minutes long. And so it was just a ton of, of (laughs) recorded material. And that became at some point difficult to whittle it down to, you know, to what ended up in the game. But, um, but it was wonderful also to work with some really brilliant musicians. The, the guy who played harmonica on it is, you know, he played on Pet Sounds and Good Vibrations and uh, Rainy Days and Mondays, He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother, as well as a ton of Westerns. Vaughn had sent over a track one day in this harmonica that he liked in it and um, looked it up and and he said, well, maybe we can get something like this in there and um, we came back with, well, maybe we can just get you that guy.
0: Who was the whistler?
1: Uh, The whistler was a guy named Amir and um, he plays with the I guess a bunch of bands, but he's a friend of Woody's, and he plays with uh, Charlotte Gainsbourg. And he um, came over to do some some violin on it, and um, before that, uh, we had hired this uh, world champion whistler who actually won the world (laughs) whistling championships. And and he was great, but he was kind of a through-the-teeth whistler. It wasn't the whistle that we needed, and um, Amir heard what he did, and he's like, I can whistle better than that. And And so he became the whistler, as well as the violinist.
0: The game has been a huge success, obviously, yeah. just a huge success, and you've gotten quite a bit of recognition, you and Woody, for the music you wrote. Can you talk briefly about that before I let you go?
1: Um, yeah, no, we won, uh, I think it won, uh, you know, Game of the Year, and I'm not sure which awards ceremonies are actually, like, the Game of the Year, but the, you know, the Spike FGAs were the televised one so it seemed like maybe that was the big one but um it got game of the year and we got best original score and then machinima um inside gaming awards um Mm -hmm. you know best original score there and i think we've gotten multiple places i mean tons it's 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 very nice to be recognized for something that kind of sticks out um when you think of video game music i think that it's not Obviously not your typical sound, and, and we really made an effort to make it different and, and to be recording you know, acoustic instruments, and it's not full of samples. And um, it was just nice to know that people appreciated the, the work that was done. And I think it's definitely deserving of Game of the Year because it's a brilliant effort by Rockstar.
0: Absolutely. Great. Well, thanks, Bill. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> thank you.
0: You've been listening to Top Score from Classical Minnesota Public Radio. I'm Emily Reese, and our technical director is Sam Keenan. On the next episode of Top Score, we talk to Norman Corbet, the man behind the music to one of the most fascinating games of 2010, Heavy Rain. If you're a fan of Top Score, find us on Twitter and Tumblr at Top Score Podcast, or leave us a comment on iTunes. Okay, maybe I'll just speak up a little bit. How's that? Is that better? Because I was talking kind of quietly.
1: Well, you're louder when you do that, yeah. Yeah.
0: And drive stagecoaches across a vast and scenic open world. It's fun. Publisher. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Maybe not that fun.
1: Um, You're talking really fast.
0: I am? Okay, I'll talk more slowly. I'll chill down.
1: Hi, Lizard Man.